Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Claire and Renzo Martinez. Into the world outside your window, but with a little bit of the uncanny and fantastic in between, we're jumping headfirst into the Valiant Universe's attempt to bring in lapsed and new readers alike with an initiative they did a few years ago known as Amongst the Fandom World, Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. Is it their first film? Is it not? Was it just a big marketing attempt or was it an attempt to actually make a good original story in order to highlight their characters? We watched the film online, which you can too on YouTube for free. And I've got the graphic novel adaptation with me today. We're talking Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe. And as always, I got to go ahead and introduce our host, the one and only the miraculous, marvelous Mr. Mark Claire. Mark, how goes it? Remzo, it goes well. Uh, it goes fun. And uh, I, I like that we're, we're mixing in more movie reviews. I know that when we first started this podcast, we were, we were solely focused on graphic novels, storylines and that sort of thing. But just just sort of naturally through the. Uh, the course of events and where fan interest lied, uh, we ended up doing those reviews of Wonder Woman 1984 and of the Snyder Cut, and uh, that was basically just due to all the feedback we get. We get awesome feedback from our fans, our patrons that are over in the Second Print Comics fan zone, our group on Facebook, and uh, so we like to really respond to this. The show is is really for the people, you know. It's for the people by the people. We're just we're just the channels essentially. So whatever you guys want, whatever feedback you give, uh, we're gonna shoot it right back at you. So uh, we are back with another film review today, and this one is a this one's different and uh it, i had i knew it existed for many many years but i had never actually taken the time to watch it again another reason i love this show it gives me the excuse to dig into things that i otherwise might have just let put on the side burner or you know left on the side burner for who knows how long Absolutely. And folks, while we are a primarily a comic book review show, we do have all the extra bonus content over at the Second Print Comics Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash second print pod slash. So patreon.com slash second print pod. Try saying that a million times. Uh, I just went ahead and recorded a review of the new uh, Invincible series by Robert Kirkman over on uh, Amazon. The first three episodes came out and it is fantastic. I'm talking about that. I'm doing a review contrast the black and white versions of Logan and Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I'm also discussing five actresses who should replace Amber Heard in all future Aquaman films. <laughs> so if you want to talk more TV and movies uh, weekly at this point, they come out every Sunday. Go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash second print pod. You're, you're called a rambling man for the reason, uh, because you have many, many rants and rambles in you and the second print patrons get to hear them all. 
I tell people this all the time. The only reason why I went into podcasting is because I couldn't shut up and I didn't want to go get a part-time job at Baskin Robbins. So it was either learn how to do this and do it very well, or go ahead and man a cash register, which there's nothing wrong with it. I just wanted to do something a little bit different. And ultimately, I still had to eventually learn how to use a cash register. <laughs> but that's how life avoid is. It anyway, but. <laughs> Run from it. Fear it. Loathe it. Destiny ultimately finds the a way. The register always rears its head eventually. Eventually. Um, anyway, so I uh, we, we did one introduction to the Valiant Universe way yonder back. We did an episode talking all about Exo Man of War. And, uh, you know, the Valiant Universe, I feel like for a lot of people, that's not how they get into comics. The way I've always seen it is they get into Marvel or DC and then they get into some of the other stuff like Image, Dark Horse, IDW, and Valiant. And, and what's insane about it is like Valiant has one of the strongest fan bases in all of print comics. I'm just talking print exclusively. They usually dominate the sales charts at local comic book shops. That and they have the third largest, uh, you know, in sync, you know, shared comic book universe, much like you have with. DC and Marvel. So the fact that now they're starting to get a little bit of playtime in the sandbox in terms of commercial success and, you know, animation, games, movies, comics, etc. Um, you'd think that they would be a little bit larger. So what they wanted to do, I think it was back in 2017, what they did was they teamed up with Bat in the Sun Studios. Bat in the Sun Studios is known for doing fan films about Nightwing. Uh, they do the the superpowered beatdown. Uh, show where they take characters from across different um, companies and stuff like that. And they'll have like the Winter Soldier fight Nightwing or the Punisher fight Red Robin or freaking um, Spider-Man fight Darth Maul. It's awesome. These guys put a ton of effort and they are incredibly, insanely talented. So what they wanted to do was Valiant reached out to them and said, hey, we want to do a free miniseries, a digital only YouTube based series focus on one of our more popular characters, Ninjak or Ninja K for those of you who are old like Mark. And what they wanted to do is they wanted this to basically be their big introduction for people. So what they did was they casted the gentleman who played Deadshot in a in in the Arrow TV show. They had him play Ninjak. Um, then they went ahead and got the guy who was the Red Ranger from Power Rangers. And those, I don't really remember their names, but we all have some memory of them at some point. I think it was the, wasn't it the Green Ranger? I think it was the Green or the Red Ranger. See, I grew up actually watching Power Rangers. So I, Tommy Oliver, the Green Ranger, I think he's the same guy that once uh, tried to challenge CM Punk to a uh, ultimate fighting um, MMA match. But that never happened. Ooh, how'd that go? It never happened. Oh, never, happened? No, never happened? never happened. He tried to call him out, but it didn't work. Oof. Well, anyway, what they did was they got him to play Bloodshot in this and uh, a, a few other people that you may have seen in, you know, like TV soap dramas and stuff like that. And they did it on a short budget. It's about an hour long at most. And then what they did was they came out with a graphic novel version, which I've got here, which came out, I think, the same year. What they basically did was they took the storyboards for this and they basically colored it and then put word balloons over it. So um, what we can kind of do, Mark, is I, I don't want to 
necessarily follow a strict format with this. We can kind of just talk about it going forward, or we can do kind of like a play-by-play with um, with the story and discuss what we liked, what we didn't like, and where Valiant kind of succeeded and failed at certain points. Because I love this film, but it's not the best thing, especially when you look around at what we've been getting from like Marvel Studios and Warner Brothers and even some other digital-only series over the years. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you uh, guide it whichever way you choose, but uh, ultimately this is, I think, your enjoyment of this film, or lack thereof, will entirely come down to your expectations of it. If you're coming into it expecting something on the level of an MCU film, or expecting something on the level of Zack Snyder's Justice League, yes, you're going to be you're gonna be extremely disappointed. Uh, but if you have the expectations, if you have expectations of just wanting to see what this is about and wanting to maybe get some exposure to the Valiant universe in a, in a pretty easy way without having to dive all the way into a graphic novel just to sort of understand who these characters are. Um, I, I would say that this might, like for me, this exceeded my expectations, uh, but it's because of where my expectations were. And I, I think that's just, 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 you know, it's all about where you're coming from on that. So we can take it any way you want, but I think that when you go either listening to this review or if you want to pause right here, go watch the movie first. You should be able to find it on YouTube or various other channels. Uh, um, you know, I, I would just go in with the mindset of keep an open mind. Don't expect a blockbuster, multi-million dollar production because it is not that. It is probably more in the level of a budget of like a fan film almost. But this is this is probably better than a fan film for sure, and better production value than a fan fan film, but lower than much lower than that of you know a blockbuster, uh, you know Marvel Marvel Studios produced or Warner Brothers produced movie. Absolutely. So what we'll kind of do is we'll just kind of do the play, the play by play and kind of just break it down from there. But what we like and what we don't like. So basically, the the film starts off with um, Agent Neville from MI6. Now, MI6 kind of takes the place of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this case, and they even have their own version of the Avengers called the Unity. It's kind of hard not to be compared to the Avengers because it is really basically their version of the Avengers. But what ends up happening is you've got this crazy assassin named Roku. Roku's a badass bitch, okay? She's got, like, Medusa-type hair, and it can turn into basically steel tendrils and stab the living shit out of you. So what ends up happening is Agent Neville, who's basically the agent who represents and is the liaison to the Unity, which is a special superhuman task force that's run by MI6, um, somebody goes ahead and they kidnap uh, his wife, his ex-wife and his daughter ends up being the super assassin Roku. Why? We don't quite know yet. Uh, meanwhile, what we have is we have Agent Colin. Uh, what's his name? Colin King. I always Colin remember King. Colin King. I, I always I always think it's like Colin Prince or something else. And I, I like Ninja because just his last name. I don't know why. It's simple. That it would always be if, me. Um, if Colin King married Wonder, Wonder Woman and took her name, took her last name. Oh, that's that's a comic book shipping I would probably really enjoy. That'd be a hell of a hell of a hell of a pair, actually. That that would be cool. The banter between them would be badass. But basically, uh, Colin King, he's a MI6 agent. He goes by Ninjack. His actual code name is Ninja K, but Ninja K sounds kind of stupid. So everyone's just been calling him Ninjack for 20 yeah, years. Yeah, it took me. I didn't realize until the and it, may, it might not have always been the case. I think in the 90s comics, he really just was a guy named Ninjack. But in the Matt Kent written uh, Redux that came out, I think first in 2013, that kind of that's where the curtain continuity all stems from is when he introduced the concept that there were these several, um, you know, there was several iterations 
iterations of this character, basically. It was like a mantle that several held. So there was Ninja A, Ninja B, Ninja C, Ninja, et cetera, et cetera, until we get to uh, Colin King, who is Ninja K. But as you said, not that catchy, so they just went with Ninjak. Uh, I wonder what the other ones went on, because I, I can't see anything like Ninjab, <laughs> Ninja B, or Ninjaj. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, nobody nobody cared beyond that letter. This is the only one that, that is really conducive to just, just saying it as it's spelled out, whereas everyone else is going to have a, a much weirder time doing that. Just just accept it, and it all works from there. But anyway, uh, Colin King is an MI6 agent. Sometimes he's kind of a mercenary. He kind of jumps between working for them exclusively and working for them on a case-by-case basis. But, uh, you know, Colin lands in Paris. He's meeting up with one of his liaisons, uh, MI6 agent named Vivian. And just off the bat, what you're being introduced to is this kind of guy who's, who's like a mix between Batman and James Bond. Because he's suave, he's he's very comfortable w- with himself. Unlike Bruce Wayne, who always is kind of like you know faking it, because ultimately he is Batman and his alter ego is Bruce Wayne. If you can kind of buy that. Whereas of Colin, he could be either or. So he walks in, he's wearing the suit and tie, he's going through all these gadgets, he's hitting on the cute blonde, and next thing you know. Um, as they're getting comfortable, these ninjas, like in any James Bond-esque fashion, these ninjas jump through the window. Um, now, typically for for like fan films like this, the action is really truncated. There's only so much you could do with choreography. There's only so much you could do with, with special effects. But this dude who's playing Ninjak, he legit looks like he can beat the shit out of some ninjas. So... I mean, he's 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 just kicking ass. He's throwing kicks everywhere. Uh, Vivian's pulled out a gun. There are explosions in the room just off the bat. Like I remember watching early fan films like with Batman and other characters in the early 2000s on YouTube when people could finally do this type of thing. And the action was never cool. But Bat in the Sky Studios has really made it, uh, you know, one of the things they're known for, like their action choreography is freaking badass. And I'm looking at the panels here and I, I pulled up one of the clips that kind of just watched the play by play. This matches a lot of the storyboarding they did. They had a big role in how they were going to do the choreography. So, I mean, this fight goes on for at least two, three minutes. Mark, as this is kind of the introduction to the film, what were your thoughts going in? I, I really enjoyed it. It, it, it. They came they came hot out of the gate uh, with characters I recognized because I had been a reader of both uh, the 90s Ninjak as well as this uh, this newer iteration that came out, again, starting in like 2013. And the character of Roku is is uh, very specific to this newer iteration of Ninjak. I think Matt Kent created Roku, and uh, I love Roku. Roku's badass, badass in the comics. Uh, I think is a badass version that we see here in the film, and uh, it's a really good action scene to start things off. And I, I, I guess that's the first thing that, that hit me was really the... It's really hard to peg exactly how the feel of this movie, but I, I guess the best way I could describe it is like... A, a, I, I don't, I don't want to say this degrading the filmmakers, but it just feels like, to me, a very well-done fan film, That if, if that makes sense. It, it has... You know, it has good production quality, probably certainly much better than I would do like in my house with some friends or anything like that, but it, you can... Clearly tell it is sort of at the B or C level of production, um, both on. It's John Wick on a dollar general <laughs> budget. Exactly. It's John Wick on a budget. But I think everyone involved in this, uh, I, I think the actors are probably my highlight here, because even though, though all of them are essentially like B or C level, level actors, they all do a really good job here in portraying the characters they're, they're, uh, you know, they're meant to portray. And I think, uh, again, I'm not sure what, what the, the actor's name is, but the guy that uh, is playing Ninjak, I think he fills the role of Colin King about as 
perfectly as you could. I could say he's probably I won't. Well, maybe at the end we'll do we'll go through our best and worst actors of this whole thing. But uh, I would put him towards the top. Uh, the, this guy that plays Colin King. Let me see if I can find his name. Yeah, could you pull up the cast? Yeah, list? I actually have it here in front of me on IMDb. Michael yeah, Rowe is his us. name. Michael Rowe. Michael Rowe, and he was cool as Deadshot in uh, in Arrow. I actually liked him better than Will Smith, and I remember Will Smith played Deadshot in Suicide right. Squad, and I was initially like, oh, Will Smith is coming in. He's going to be fucking awesome, and Will Smith didn't do bad in Suicide Squad. I think it was just that I had more time to watch uh, M- Michael Rowe's portrayal as Deadshot on Arrow, and because of that, I just became a little bit more biased. I think Will Smith did a fine acting job in that film, but he didn't feel like dead shot yeah there, there's a reason why when they asked him to come back for suicide squad 2 he was like hell nah he's like nah man those fans were crushing me on that i don't want to deal with these idiots on twitter anymore no get get, I'm, get I'm Idris Elba. he did cats he'll do anything <laughs> he was naked <laughs> in cats just, just just give him a call trust me he has no story. hashtag release the butthole cut anyway <laughs> we're, we're we're back we thought that and, joke uh, would, would carry over from from podcast to podcast <laughs> hey, it's a movement. It's a lifestyle choice. That actually is a joke that was made not on Second Print, print Comics, and I'm not even sure if you realize that because we've done so many different podcasts together lately. So it's an Easter egg for fans that listen to us on all our various works. See, it's the <laughs> shared podcast universe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, man, I just realized that, and it's like, man, this is all. They, this they is all, all kind of blend together at some point, don't they? <laughs> they do. That's for the hey, real you- fans out there. For the for the ride or die types. Anyway, we're we're back That's at the, for the apartment. fans that have little Mark and Remzo figurines at their houses. <laughs> I don't even have one of those. Yeah, I want, do I. I want, that's, I, that's why I'm scared of those fans. <laughs> I want to I want a bobblehead version of myself. That'd be so cool. That should be a, a Patreon level. When we get to a certain uh, certain level, we're gonna make make little bobbleheads and we'll we'll give them to fans at a certain level. That's a promise. I'm not gonna put it on paper till I do some research, but uh, it's a promise that I'll look into it. I like the idea. Why not Why not start a cult at this point? Yeah. Global domination, Mark. Global domination. That's essentially what this is. It's a cult with extra steps. That's what we'll call it. The second print cult. That's it. Uh, Anyway, we're back at the apartment. The ninjas have overwhelmed uh, Ninjak, and he could theoretically take them all out. But what ends up happening is Roku gets in the room, and uh, she takes Vivian hostage. And long story short, Roku and Ninjak have some history. They don't really talk about it here. You've got to read more of the graphic novels to understand how these two know each other. But long story short... Uh, in the sub-basement of MI6 is a thing called Asset 147. And what she wants him to do is go in and steal it for her. At this point, he's like, nah, why would I do that? And then she pulls out an iPad, and you see that she has taken Agent Neville's ex-wife and daughter hostage. And to kind of let him know how serious he and is. And then said, well, she- it's just his ex-wife, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he could ha- he could get married again, and he could have other kids. Like, I like the guy, but I mean, he's kind of moved on already. Okay, the daughter too. All right, fine. fine. But you see, he's he's kind of just looking at the situation. And he's like, come on, like you ex- really expect me to do this to show how serious she is, and this is the first display of her power. Which on page, I'm looking at it here, and it looks really terrifying. In the film, it's it's kind of oh, that's like you know. Uh, uh, ABC's or CBS's uh, Medusa from Inhumans. What she does is she takes her one strand of her hair and she punctures Vivian's head. It's pretty badass. Like, yeah, like it. It's pretty. Like it's kind of CGI weirdness going on. But it, the the way she murders her, like we didn't expect to see that up front. Like we are getting accustomed to the level of violence we're going to see here. No, I thought I thought they were introducing us to Ninjax' love interest for the whole film, and then well, I guess not. 
no, she did. And at that point, you know, he's screaming like, I'll never help you. And, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, you, you kind of will, because I just did this. Imagine what I'm going to do to his ex-wife and child. So at this point, uh, she leaves and then Jack has really no choice. He has to go ahead and break into MI6. So that way uh, she, she, he can deliver the asset to her. So just right there, we're at the end of that scene. Uh, Medusa, scary or not scary? You mean Roku? Roku. She's a ripoff Medusa, but she's cool in her own way. So I feel bad because she is kind of original, but I keep reverting back to that. I think she's uh, a much cooler character than Medusa from the Marvel comics. Uh, I don't know if she can rival Medusa from Greek mythology because she's pretty badass. She turns your ass to stone if you just look at her snake head. But, uh, but um, you know, compared to the, the Marvel co- comics in humans iteration, I think she's a much cooler character. Uh, way cooler it's like a it's like the evil demonic badass version of of medusa and yeah i I really like roku i really like roku in the comics and i yeah i think she does a pretty damn good portrayal here yeah so anyway we kind of skip a few scenes uh ninjack is broken into the sub basement of mi6 at this point agent neville calls major capshaw who's kind of like their version of maria hill and livewire livewire has the ability she has like basic electric powers but she can also talk to machines so think of somewhere between electro and cyborg um and, you know, uh, he's coming up the elevator and they're like, OK, somebody's breached. He's about to get out of the elevator. Uh, Capshaw, Livewire, Neville and a bunch of other agents go ahead and they surround the elevator. At this point, Ninjak walks out with the briefcase and they're like, scene. Ninjak, what, what what the hell is going on? And he's like, uh, I, I need to go. I'll explain later. And he's like, uh, you can't just go with this. So at this point, then Ninjak's just like, you know. I don't have any other choice. I'm just going to have to go through you all. So right now the the fight just straight out of like the warriors happens. He just starts lunging and everyone is shooting and he's just ripping people apart like John Wick. Yeah. And Roku is watching it all. I guess she can kind of like see it through uh, his, she must've implanted something like on his visor. Cause she's kind of like watching it through Ninjak's point of view, which is kind of a cool thing to keep coming back to. And Ninjak even has to take out Neville. He kind of has to like knock him out in the elevator. But this scene where Ninjak just goes nuts and takes out all the MI6 guys, it's actually, it works so perfectly because, you know, when you know the story and you know that he's, you know, he's not really gone bad as they kind of think he has. He's actually really careful when you watch this fight scene, like he takes everybody out, but he doesn't kill anybody. He just kind of like knocks them out. Uh, knocks him to the side, um, defends himself, but he doesn't kill any of the agents. So you can tell he's kind of like, they, they, it's a really awesome action scene and it's it's as violent as you can be without having blood and death. Uh, and I think it really goes to show you what Ninjak's character is here. He is, he's so skilled that he can take you out any way he wants. He can take you out by just being a crazy ninja and not killing you. He could kill you if he wanted to, but in here, he because he he really is a hero, he's really not turning on MI6. He's actually just trying to help his friend Neville, but he can't tell him because uh, if he tells him, it's going to ruin the whole thing. So I, I think this, this is an awesome action scene and it, while also displaying uh, the character of, of Colin King. Yeah, I mean, what 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 really makes me compare him to Batman in many cases is unlike other ninja themed heroes like Snake Eyes or Deadpool, he really does rely on his gadgets. I think uh, Ninjak Volume One, the Weaponeer, and Unity Volume One to kill a king. You see a lot of Ninjak using his uh, 
knowledge of technology and his gadgets really in his favor because he could easily be like a blunt force object and just beat the shit out of people and stab them. But he's he's smart. And that's where people undermine him because they see him as just a weapon where they don't realize that the real weapon is, is his brain. And he's got shit shooting out of his gauntlets uh, as live wires about to electrocute him. Uh, he throws like this silly putty on her hands. Kind of like Daredevil meets Tony Stark meets Sherlock Holmes. He's a little bit. He's, he's all, oh, that is he's a investigator good one. plus like a, a techno gadget user. Or maybe you could compare him more to Batman than like Tony Stark just with the use of the gadgets. Uh, but with also the ninja skills of like a Daredevil, except he can see too. So that's nice. Yeah, and at this point, what he realizes is he's not going to be able to outpower them for long. He doesn't have enough gadgets to get out. So what he forces Livewired to do is to actually um, shoot a bolt of lightning at him as he's running in front of a window. And at this point, he throws out some uh, smoke grenades. So as she shoots him, she thinks that she's taking him down. He needs to get pushed out the bulletproof glass. So he gets shot out to escape like he wanted. And then the room is completely covered in smoke. So Livewire Capshaw and the other MI6 agents are just like, shit, like he's gone. And what did he take? And at this point, Neville's like, okay, now we got to figure out what's going on. But before we do that, we need the unity. Now, when you call in the unity, something is serious. And at this point, who is the unity in this uh, specific story? We've got Bloodshot, the unkillable Terminator that he is. We've got Archer and Armstrong. We've got Exo Manowar. We've got Gilad, the Eternal Warrior, along with Livewire. So right now, Obviously, what's ever in that briefcase is a unity level threat. Indeed, yeah. And I, I enjoyed the scene where Neville is kind of calling on each of these uh, heroes individually while they're in the middle of their, their you know, various action. Like, Bloodshot's just in the middle of, like, just outright murdering a bunch of dudes. And then Neville just kind of calls him. He's like, all right, one second. And I just got to, like, take this grenade uh, <laughs> first, and then I'll, then I'll be right with you. Uh, yeah, and, and I really like, too, like, Bloodshot pulls this knife right out of his head and then gets shot, like, in the head, and then you immediately, like, see him regenerate that wound. So you, in each scene where uh, Neville is contacting these characters, you also get a glimpse into their powers as well. So you see, like, you know, Bloodshot's crazy healing powers here, too. Speaking of which, so I, I won't go through, like, each introduction because it... it you know, some of it's a little bit redundant, but let's just go through the characters. So you already went through Bloodshot. Uh, some of these folks I knew going into this, some of them I was introduced to, and I considered myself kind of a valiant novice at the time when I started reading them in 2018. Uh, Archer and Armstrong, do you know what the deal with them is? That is one of these characters that I've had the least exposure to. I just kind of know them from from my, a vague familiarity with the uh, Valiant universe, but uh, I forget which is which. One of them is the, a drunk, and one of them is just like this this little punk kid. And I'm not really sure what their powers are. So Archer is the kid and Armstrong is the guy. Armstrong is Gilad's brother. So he's also an eternal warrior oh, in his own right. That. And Archer was a kid who was who grew up in like this death assassin cult who was actually hired to kill Armstrong. But they end up becoming friends and going on like buddy cop adventures throughout the world. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and, and appropriately, we meet them in a bar. Yeah, as as buddies should. Uh, then we've got, you know, Exo Manowar, um, you know, uh, Arc of Dacia, who has the Sh- Shanhara armor, which is the most powerful weapon in the universe. And then we've got Gilad, the Eternal Warrior. I think Gilad's probably the most underrated Valiant character. Have you read much on him? 
Not too much. I mostly know that character, again, just from his crossing through of other characters, uh, especially in the, I think, the first Unity series is where uh, it's it's actually kind of like this one, except it's all these characters united to try to take down uh, Exo Manowar when he first comes to Earth. That's like kind of how this team came together in the first place yeah. uh, in the comics. They brought the team together because there was this extra, you know, extraterrestrial threat of the Exo Manowar. Uh, so this team kind of came together to take him out. And of course, they all ended up joining together and and being happy friends, but uh, first uh, G Lad was one of the people you know involved in that. So I really only know him from that. I've never read his own individual series, but uh, in this film, he is played by John Hennigan. Do you know what else John Hennigan is from? I don't. Of course you don't, because you're uneducated and uncultured. John Hennigan is a former WWE wrestler, actually current WWE wrestler, John Morrison. Uh, He was also in the promotion Lucha Underground for several years. Um, I'm trying to remember what his name. I think he was just called like Johnny Lucha or something like that. Then he's always Johnny something wherever he goes. That's kind of his his gimmick in the wrestling world. Uh, When he was in Impact Wrestling, he was Johnny Impact. Uh, But in in between his uh, wrestling careers, he's had various since with various wrestling promotions over the years, uh, starting in WWE, bouncing through a lot of independent uh, circuits. And during that time, he's kind of established himself as a fairly established, as established as you can be, like C-level actor. So he's been in a lot of these sort of like B movies. He's in a lot of random B movies. Like sometimes I'll just see a movie somewhere on Netflix or something that is a C-level movie and I'll notice, oh, John Hennigan's in it. So he's in a lot of, I guess, this level production of film. Uh, but I think what why he's really really good in a lot of the stuff is a he kind of has acting chops in, in a sense from from being a wrestler I mean you have to a wrestler is his own stuntman and an actor and everything wrapped in one so it really is the perfect profession to kind of set you up for this style of acting uh, where uh, I, I'm pretty sure he does a lot of his own kind of stunt work here too so I thought the casting was really well I thought John John Morrison or John Hennigan as his real his real name is uh, did an awesome job as G-Lad yeah and I mean you can read more about him in Unity of course he's introduced into the Valiant Universe and Exo Man war volume two but he had a great series uh on his own called the wrath of the eternal warrior it's awesome and all i can really say that and it won't do him justice is uh gilad the eternal warrior is basically what you get when you get thor and wolverine that's about uh, right he, he he is a very very like compelling character in his own right and i i it's kind of like a, a protector of the earth too so that he's like this immortal immortal being that um yeah hence the name eternal warrior who is just you know he's always there to just you know Keep protecting stuff, I guess you could say. Yeah, so Livewire, uh, Capsha, and Neville have all gone, and they've recruited all these folks because this is a Unity-level threat. Um, we're introduced to all of them, and then this is where we get our first fight. So Bloodshot is the first one on the scene. He's riding his motorcycle. He's just uh, beating up a whole bunch of guys, and everyone thinks, okay, Bloodshot's Bloodshot's Bloodshot. He's like the Punisher and Wolverine. He nothing can kill him. He'll easily take down uh, Ninjack. So they go ahead and uh, trace him over to a warehouse where Nin- Ninjack is trying to get some first aid applied to himself because he got so beat up in his last fight with Live Fire and the MI6 agents. But Ninjack is smart. He knows that if I'm going to go ahead and hide somewhere, I might as well set up some traps. So what he does is he sets up some mines and other stuff to go ahead and alert him and protect him from whoever's there. But what ends up happening is he sees, oh, shit, the person who's coming to get me is freaking bloodshot at this point. It's like, son of a bitch, really? Like, after all yeah. this shit I've been dealing with the last day or so, the first guy I got to fight is freaking bloodshot. My God, you couldn't just send these, like, 
MI6 lackeys again. I have to deal with this guy who immediately heals from anything I do to him. Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of those areas of the film where you really see the budget in play because he heals like Wolverine. Uh, what, what did you think of how they show him healing in this film, though? Um, I mean, it's not the best effects I've ever seen. <laughs> I would say they just kind of like re I think he loses an arm. Is this, this the fight where he loses an arm and then the arm, he just loses like, an arm and he loses a leg Yeah, and they just kind of like digitally <laughs> reappear um, and, and not the most realistic of fashions. Uh, there's no blood or well, I think there is blood, but it just looks, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the level of production you would expect from this kind of film, I guess, you know? So again, it's yeah. all about expectations here. I'm not expecting Marvel type effects. Yeah. I mean, the only thing saving him is that we got the dude from power Rangers on here. Who's yes, that guy? That's Jason David Frank is his, is his name. He played the Green Ranger on Power Rangers uh, at the exact time when I would occasionally watch that show as a young teenager. And if you want to age me based off of that, feel free to do your own research and you can figure it out. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's like the the effects make it look kind of stupid. But luckily, the fight choreography actually pulls it off. So Ninjack and Bloodshot are just going back and forth. It's a pretty 50 50 fight. I, I really enjoy like they, they always go back to the reaction shots from Roku during these fight scenes, too. And it's just it's really fun because she's just it, she's just kind of sadistic. Like she's enjoying the whole thing. She enjoys like when Ninjack gets the upper hand because she's glad to see that, you know, She's sending him on this mission and she wants him to complete this mission, but she also enjoys when he's getting his ass kicked because she's his enemy. So it's like she's just no matter what, where we are in the battle, she's kind of just like watching and kind of enjoying it, seeing it all unfold. And, and with her really creepy eyes where she has no uh, no pupils, she just has like the, the whites of her eyes. So, yeah, I really love the portrayal of, of Roku here. I think it's about about the best they could possibly do. Yeah, and I mean, I always, like I mentioned earlier, I'm always comparing her to Medusa just because Medusa came first, but she's cooler than Medusa. Way cooler. Um, anyway, the, the only way that Ninja can get out of this fight is he sees a canister for liquid nitrogen and he and he basically stabs it into bloodshot, basically freezing him because he knows, yeah, I, I don't want to kill him because he's my friend, but I got to stop him. And this is about the only thing that can stop him because his the nanites in his blood are going to take forever to get this guy back up. Yeah, that's, that's another thing I just love about the character of Colin King is that pretty much and this is true in the comics, too. I mean, any situation, ultimately, he pretty much usually ends up getting out of the major battles or uh, of any kind of really, really difficult situation. He gets put in with his wit, with with his intellect, even though he has all the gadgets, has all the skills. It always comes down to he outsmarts his opponent or he outsmarts the situation. That's that's consistent with that char- the character in the comics and, and pretty consistent with things in this film. Yeah. So now we move on to our next fight. Ninjak is on motor cycle he's trying to escape so now they go ahead and they send Arik, aka exo man or war to find him now Arik, he's always the blunt force object he's always the guy that's gonna cause the most damage so what he ends up doing is he ends up giving him basically it's their version of a car chase it's Arik in the sky shooting down at ninjack as ninjack is hiding and ultimately ninjack knows that he can't beat Arik. there's nothing he can do that can beat him while he's in the armor so uh, at one point uh he he tricks exo man war into flying into a semi truck he does the cool the cool slide under the truck with the motorcycle thing you've seen in like fast and furious stuff like that so exo is like ah man he got the upper hand on me for a minute he chases him to some woods and he uses his visor to go ahead and actually see see through the trees and like an x-ray vision so he can see ninjack uh trying to you know catch his breath so he pulls up his gauntlet he's about to fire a missile at him and next you know gilad comes over and he's like all right stop it should be me who does it we owe him that much and at this point arc is like no we, we gotta we gotta stop him man we gotta get the asset and he's like listen just let me go talk to him and if it doesn't work i'll go ahead and i'll take him out there was no way on their budget they could possibly make exo man war look good 
because when you see him just standing in the costume, it's pretty cool. But when you see him flying and blasting lasers and stuff, it kind of looks it, it kind of looks shitty. Like maybe in like the late 90s, this will have been like peak CGI. But watching this like in the in the late 2010s, it's just one of those things where it's like, ah, you kill if you were going to do this, maybe leave him out. But then again, he's also Valiant's one of Valiant's biggest stars. So if you leave him out, then you're just going to piss off people, too. So there was there was a lose lose situation with this. Yeah, It's hard to leave the character out because he really is like a, a pinnacle of the Valiant universe and of the, the Unity team. And if the point of this is to introduce he's their Superman. Yeah, exactly. And if the point of this is to introduce people to your universe, you can't really leave him out. Um, I actually thought the character like the actor I thought was pretty effective as Arik. And I, I think he looked a lot cooler when he's interacting with Colin just in the suit, you know, just in his costume. Um. Although even that is a little bit looks a little Halloweeny, like you know. Of course, I'm lowering my standards here, um, but yeah, when they use the effects, like the energy stuff, uh, it kind of reminds me. Like my, my wife and I were just re- rewatching the show. Well, it's the first time for her, but we're, we're I'm rewatching the show Lost. Have you ever seen the show Lost? Oh man, I got lost after season three. Well, no pun intended. You get lost in it. That's actually the the tipping point. Not to go into a whole different review, but like basically um, that around season three, the and you could tell because this is probably why a lot of people get lost in season three uh, because that is where they start to have some episodes that are kind of meaningless and kind of go nowhere. Like there's an episode where Hurley just finds a van, and that's the whole episode. There's an episode where we see a flashback of how Jack got his tattoos. Like they don't really mean anything because the writers were kind of like stalling because they didn't they didn't know when the show was gonna end so they're waiting to jump to their to the story that really brought him to the end so midway through the show they made a deal with the with abc and said like look we need to know the end of the show so they made a deal they decided the exact end date and then they built everything speedily not speedily it took four more three more seasons but towards that end end goal and the show is a lot more focused from that point forward so if you make it to the end of season three it, it gets to me it gets really good uh, you know there's People have different opinions about that, but I really enjoyed the show from that point onward because it really has a focus and a direction. It doesn't have a lot of those meaningless episodes. But anyway, that was my side review of the show Lost. The point, <laughs> the point of this was that while rewatching this, you know, this came out and I think first came out in 2004, probably ran to like 2010, I'm guessing. Uh, and when you see the special effects, they don't use special effects that often in the show, but when they do, they're so bad. It's unbelievable how bad they are just from 10 I years I remember ago. the polar bear. The, yeah. polar well, the polar bear was, was actually done well. Uh, I mean, relatively to these other effects, but you know, when they have the the smoke monster, I mean, it just it looks like animation a college student would do in like After Effects, and, and I don't know why. And that is kind of an insult to college students because it really just looks so shitty that you can't. Hey, they know they're on a budget. Yeah, I mean, you, I guess it's because it's a TV budget, but this is one of the most expensive shows ever made too, and it's ABC. You'd think they'd have something better, but I think it was just, just indicative even of how far special effects have come, even in ten years. Like you would never see effects like this, you know, ten years later on like a Marvel or you know Marvel show or a DC show except or, in humans except, I never watched that so probably for good reason <laughs> it is it is like like go go look at go try and get a scene of Medusa from Inhumans and compare her powers in the first episode to Roku in this uh, series and it's night and day they actually made Roku look more like how Medusa should have looked in the Inhuman show yeah. Anyway, that was a long-winded say, way to say that these these effects remind me of mid 2000s lost effects, which is to say, not very good. Respectable but atrocious. Exactly. Like I'm not saying I could do better, but I could probably do close, to be honest. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Gilad corners Colin over to this waterfall where they talk, and basically Gilad is like, "Listen, man, what you've got in that briefcase, that book, is the book of the dead. That book can bring about the end of the world. No wonder Roku wants it." And at this point, 
call and is like, listen, you, you, I, I don't have time to explain everything to you, which I feel is kind of a gimmick because all I have to say is she's got Neville's ex-wife and kid hostage. Well, I think it does kind of make sense, though, because she is monitoring everything through him. Oh, right. Because the, yeah. the, the, the retinal thing. I thought that for a second, too. I was like, why not just tell him? Like, you know, but then I, I think it is because that's why she has the thing where she's monitoring him. And she's like, if you tell anybody, like, they're dead. So he, that's why he's kind of stuck where he he's trying to, you know, defend himself against his friends, uh, trying to do the right thing and save Neville's uh, family, but also can't actually tell anybody what's going on, which is why they just kind of think, well, I guess he must have gone bad. Yeah. Speaking of which, what ends up happening is Bloodshot ends up catching up with them after thawing out. And while Gilad is talking to Ninjack, he goes ahead and he actually uh, sets up a sniper's post. And as Ninjack and Gilad are about to fight each other because, you know, they couldn't explain their way out of this. Bloodshot takes the shot and shoots him and you know, Ninjak basically falls off of the waterfall and for all intents and purposes, he's actually dead. Or, or is he, or is he actually? And this is when things get cool. I, what I love about this is they really do invoke so many various elements of the Valiant universe that it really is like, a, it really is a great like intro to Valiant 101. If you can you know look past some of the, the cheesiness and some of the, you know, maybe C, C or B level acting and maybe even D level effects. Uh, if you're just trying to get a taste of like what these characters are at their core, you, you kind of really do get it in this film. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing I like about them that, I think makes them unique from all the other superhero teams. None of these guys are actually friends. Like none of them actually like each other. And that's where you get a lot of the cool banter because even the unity comics and other stuff, they're not like the, the Avengers who were going out for shawarmas or the justice league who were all like, they, they all genuinely like each other. All these guys are here because they're forced to be here. Yeah. And they even show some flashback scenes uh, earlier in the film where they show like some, some training scenes of the team first coming together. And you see like, you see them really not getting along at all. Especially like, especially the show, like a big fight between um, bloodshot and Exo Manowar they get into it and you know there's there's a lot of egos here none of these guys these are all like their own kind of leader none of these guys really are are fit for the team environment um so when they're put into it it's really just more like a bunch of individuals that are kind of trying to work together than than a cohesive team like you might get out of you know the avengers of the justice league yeah so basically what ends up happening is uh Ninjak is dead, but he ends up going to one of their levels of hell. So in the Valiant universe, you don't just have heaven and hell. You have different levels of hell and different levels of heaven, depending on where you go. So Ninjak gets sent to the dead side, which is basically where bad guys go when it's still not ultimately determined whether or not they should be sent back to live or when, or whether they're going to stay here. So it's kind of like purgatory for when you're almost dead, but they're going to basically assess who you are. And what ends up happening is he encounters another Valiant hero named Shadow Man. I loved this part because I was not expecting it. Uh, you know, I just it was just advertised as the unity, which, uh, you know, Shadow Man is not historically a part of in the comics. But he is a character I've always thought was really, really cool. And I, I did enjoy his portrayal here. Actually, the CGI portraying the dead side was actually you know decent here. This is the this is actually probably the best in the in the yeah, whole this, film. This is, yeah, this is this is cool, really cool. This scene. Yeah. So basically, Shadow Man is like calling. King Ninjak, you're not supposed to be here. What the hell are you doing here, man? <laughs> he's like, you're not so, a bad guy. Wait, yeah, he's like, what, what ended up happening? Who forced you to betray them? I mean, who did this to you, Ninjak? So Ninjak is basically like, listen, I didn't have a choice. It was Roku. She has Neville's family. And he can talk here because he's in the dead side. So I don't think she can monitor yeah. him <laughs> like, like she could. Because yeah. he dead. Because he dead. 
basically. So he, he basically goes ahead and explains everything. And then he's like, and you know what? Not only did I fail them because I'm dead, but now I failed the world because somehow somebody's going to get a hold of the Book of the Dead. So what Shadow Man ends up doing is he actually sends Ninjak back to the land of the living. And at this point, uh, you know, you've got Exo, Bloodshot and Gilad. They're all trying to figure out what do we do with his body? Do we give him like a warrior's burial or something? And then um, at this point, you know, he comes back and he's basically like, listen, guys, I'm back now. Everything is good because uh, when Shadow Man brought me back, he disabled the retinal uh, thing that the retinal camera that Roku's been using to to track me. So now she can't track me. I can get this done. Here's what's actually been going on. I, I enjoyed everything about about how they handled this because uh, you're not expecting to see Colin King, uh, you know, get get killed in the middle of, of the film. But uh, it really just gave you a peek into another character in the Valiant universe and another another you know a way you can kind of cheat death here is uh, I guess in this case Shadow Man can just send you back. Yeah, so at this point, um, uh, you know, Ninjak is off trying to find Roku in the book. Everyone is back at Neville's office and Shadow Man comes in and then he explains to them everything that's happened. So at this yeah. point, they're like, shit, we should have we should have known that Ninjak just didn't turn evil. All of yeah, a Shadow Man is basically the go between here because Ninjak was able to speak to him in the dead side and then he can come out and kind of materialize and talk to these guys in the church. I really I actually really like like this is actually so much better than the effects of Lost uh, when he emerges from the smoke, when Shadow Man kind of emerges in, the, in this church that they're for some reason meeting in and uh, explains the whole thing and then yeah they they kind of have the realization oh yeah duh of course ninjak didn't just randomly turn bad maybe we shouldn't have killed him <laughs> oops yeah. but luckily shadow man's here and he's okay so this is where we get to our last obligatory fight uh shadow i'm sorry ninjak needs to rest he stops by a bar who's at the bar archer and armstrong and not to get too much into this because it's really just a generic fight it's my favorite fight scene though i mean my favorite you know it's the I, most I might have said that about another, Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like the actors like they're really hamming it up. Like if you see some actors who are really kind of trying to ham up their roles where it's like they're trying to take it serious, but they're taking it so seriously it comes off as stupid. This is it. What what did you think of uh, Arm, Arm, Archer and Armstrong? Hamming it up is definitely the way to put it. Uh, uh, both of them like Archer or I keep getting the Archer's the drunk, right? No, Armstrong's the drunk. Armstrong's the drunk. Armstrong's the drunk. Yeah, Armstrong is just just an over the top drunkard, uh, like you like uh, like you'd expect from this character if you've been following him in the comics. And then, yeah, I really got a kick out of Archer. Just it's just funny to see the contrast between them, which I think is that really the charm of the duo of Archer. Armstrong is just this huge, big drunkard, and Armstrong. I keep messing them up. This is like comics and issues for me, or issues and episodes. For me. <laughs> Archer is like, yeah, he's like he's like a, a child. I mean, he's. <laughs> but he, a the way big he, drunk child. Yeah, but they, but they both have like serious fighting skills, though. They just have like different styles. Like Ar- Ar- Archer is able to keep up with Ninjag, actually surprising well, uh, surprisingly well during this. And uh, then you know, while uh, Armstrong has more of just uh, you know a, a, a more like a, a it's clobbering time thing style of fighting, I would attribute to Armstrong here. Uh, but I really enjoyed. You can recap it here. I really enjoyed in the middle of this battle how uh, Neville Alcott because they finally realizes you know he hears you know, the the gang hears what happened from from uh, Shadow Man, then they, then you know, Neville, of course, finds out about it. So he's like, wants to put a stop to this fight uh, because he doesn't want to put a stop to the fight, but he, he, he wants, he knows why Ninjak is doing it now. So he tries to convey this to Armstrong, gives him a call in the middle of the fight. Armstrong gets like kicked.
kicked into the st- stall when he gets the phone. And then uh, you know Neville's like, "Hey, I need you to lose the fight, uh, but like, but you know, don't don't kill Ninjak, don't stop him. Like he's he needs to keep doing what he's doing." They need to make it look legit yeah, because can, somehow they know Roku might find out that exactly. he's he's free of all this. He's, he's saying, like, you can't just come out and and say you know. You just got to, like, lose to him on purpose, basically. And Armstrong's like, what? What are you saying? Like, whatever, man. <laughs> like He's like, I'm going to go kick this guy's ass. And then he just comes out and, like, immediately gets his ass. Like, I, I, gets, I forget how it actually happens. It plays out in the movie. But he, he, he gets taken out in, like, two seconds uh, <laughs> all at once. Uh, and then Jack is able to take out both Archer and Armstrong. So it was just a, it was just a really fun fight scene and it had a lot of comic relief. Yeah, so anyway, uh, after that, Ninjak gets over to Roku's lair. Roku has Neville's ex-wife and daughter. Uh, Colin has the book. Just as they're about to do the trade, you know, she thinks she's won, and she's actually about to go ahead and let you know, the hostages go. That's when the unity bumps in. Everyone just bursts through a wall looking heroic as shit. You see all of them in all of their individual glory and they start fighting Roku's army of ninja assassins. So at this point, Roku's like, shit, I can't take on the whole unity. She's running over to this plane that she's got in the, in the, in the strip outside her lair. Uh, she's about to get on as it's taking off. Uh, Ninjak is able to get over there. You get to see her do some more shit with her hair, which I think is really cool because if you got a villain, who's that unique in her power set, you might as well show it off. So while it's still a little bit cheesy, I like seeing it because it's also a power you don't often really see. Um, and, and like I said, like if you, if you're one of the select poor individuals who had to watch Inhumans because you felt like it was going to matter, this is the type of stuff you wanted to see from Medusa. So the fact that you're seeing it from some, somebody who has the same power set, but is also incredibly evil. It was awesome. So what does Colin do? He takes out a knife and he starts like cutting off her hair. <laughs> Actually looks a little bit comical. It's funny at this point. Um, you know, they, they act somehow the pilot gets killed and just the collateral damage of this. So what Colin does is he grabs the book and he jumps out the freaking plane leaving uh, Roku to die as it's about to crash as he's about to fall and, you know, meet his maker XO man of war goes ahead and flies in and swoops in, saves him midair. And, uh, you know, basically they get down. They're like, Hey, and Jack, sorry, we all tried to kill you today. And then Jack's like, nah, I kind of get it. It's kind of a <laughs> cheesy ending. I mean, Roku dies for all intents and purposes in the crash. But well, yeah, no, no the, you left out one thing. It's actually it's Bloodshot that comes in. Um, it's like Bloodshot is flying this jet uh, along with Exo Manowar flying. Exo j- dives down and saves uh, Colin King while uh, Bloodshot just fires missiles and, and explodes the plane with uh, with Roku in it. Right, he right. Actually, so he's actually one that, t- that ends up taking her out in the end. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was uh, the, the scene where Bloodshot is flying the talk about hamming it up. The scene where he is flying toward in the, the the jet and about to fire these missiles is so extra hammed up. But that is just kind of that is the kind of actor that that this Jason David Frank is. He is just a he's a hammed up actor basically and uh yeah i mean i think he's actually uh, of all the portrayals in this i actually thought the bloodshot portrayal was the worst i hate to say it uh because he just i don't know he just he came with the cross across to me as the most cheesy and the most kind of forced um where and i i get that the whole movie is kind of a bit hammy and kind of all the portrayals are hammy in a sense uh but I, I don't know i just i found his the toughest to buy whereas the other characters felt a little more natural to me especially i think i think one of my oh we could do favorite actors when we when we wrap the whole thing up here but i, I think there's, there's there's certain, there's certain ones that stood out to me more than others in this. 
Yeah. So so basically that's that's the film. It's really like it's a short film. It's really to the point. The story is is there, but it was really just a way of introducing you to all of Valiant's heavy hitters. And there are some that they don't include. They didn't include the Harbingers. They didn't include uh, Toyo Harada. That would have been too much to try to wedge into all this. Yeah. I mean, I I just picked up. the death defying Dr. Mirage. I'm going to read the first volume of that, but like for the people that are really at the core of the modern Valiant entertainment universe of heroes, this is it. And I think for the most part, they succeed at that. Now in terms of quality of movie, that's a whole completely different thing, but all in all, I I enjoyed watching this. I've watched a handful of times since it first came out. Yeah. I think that's the best way to describe it is it's fun. It's enjoyable. Like I, I doubt any, I mean, it's there's definitely easy to make criticisms of this film if you're trying to judge it as just a film overall. But if again, it's all about excitations, like I said in the beginning, if you go to this with the expectations of just wanting to check out this movie and have a, a, a rather short, I think it's maybe an hour, 20 minutes, uh, fun time, it's fun. Like, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Uh, you know, like I said, it's not an MCU blockbuster, it's not a Snyder cut, nothing like that. Uh, but if your expectations are set properly, I think you'll really enjoy this film yeah in terms of the actors i think the cast tried their best i mean there's only so much you can do when you're on such a limited budget and you're supposed to play superheroes uh the guy that played exo man of war doesn't really have much dialogue he's really just there just to just to fight and i mean same thing goes they just for cast all the because he kind of looks like uh chris hemsworth kind of kind of i i think i think the guy who played bloodshot like man there's only so much you could do with that what's weird now is, no, is seeing vin diesel as bloodshot and it's another one of those things where it's like what was really the intention of this because i feel like valiant is always kind of pacing themselves for the short-term stuff and they don't really have a lot of long-term development because in 2020 the bloodshot movie came out and that's a big budget thing with one of the biggest actors in the world and and i mean it's one of the situations where it's like if you did not like the superhero genre and you were trying to figure out if you wanted to get into comics, I don't think that watching this was really going to like give you the best impression just because it is so cheesy, especially when you look at the world around you and you have so much to compare it to. Yeah. Like I don't think this, this film would serve the, like if, if this is released to a mass audience with the intention of bringing people into Valiant Comics, I don't think that would be very effective. I think it's more effective as someone who's might be mildly interested in Valiant Comics or in comics in general and just wants to, you know, get a sense of these characters. Uh, and I think it serves that purpose well. Uh, it's probably not going to pull in non-comic fans from the cold. Uh, that, that I think might give them a, a different impression. They might say, well, this is just kind of cheesy. So it, again, it's all about expectations and and what what audience we're kind of you know, looking at with with this film? Um, do we want to do like best and worst actors, or I, I don't know if you want to have what other yeah, awards? Let, we let, have let's in, but. let's let's go ahead and do that. Let's uh let, let's start with the first one, Ninjack. Uh, we just want to grade the acting performances, and then yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's go it. through a few of the performances, and then we can kind of rate our, our best and worst. How about yeah, that? I, I think you know in terms of fight choreography, he actually did a lot of the choreography himself for him and the other characters. Uh, you know, you had to get someone that knew how to fight. We were dealing with Ninjak, who's the, who's the marquee character for this story. Um, he had to look badass, and when it comes to those fight scenes, I mean, that's the one thing where it's like you don't need a lot of money to do that. You just need somebody that knows how to make how to pull it off and make it look cool. In terms of his acting performance you know he he has to balance himself with a lot of actors he's not somebody who i think is an amazing actor but i think he gets the job done i'm gonna give him a seven 
All right, we're gonna rate the acting performances on, on a on a scale of one to ten. In that case, um, yeah, yeah, Colin King. Let's see, this guy's name is Michael Rowe. Yeah, I would give him. I mean, I think for the role, he was he was about as good as he could be uh, at his level of actor. This guy strikes me as someone who would, who would make like he'd be like the the lead in like um, a '90s uh, Skinamax movie that you'd, you'd stumble upon at like wow. at like two in the morning, <laughs> and and he's 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 the one that the the uh, you know the the wife is having like the affair with. He's like the the, the badass, you know. Dude, he's the, the bad boy. Yeah, so that, that's that's how I look at it, this actor. Uh, yeah, I think your score is fair. I this would call him a seven out of ten. That's such a backhanded compliment. It really though. is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seven out of ten. It's kind of like okay, it's kind of like when we talk about like different cities and comparing uh, hotness in different cities. You know, like an an LA seven might compare it to say a uh, you know I don't know uh, what's DC six. Uh, sure, a DC six. Why not? So I think Colin King is uh, for this movie. He's like maybe a nine. Or, you know, for for this level of film. But if you try to put him in a, an MCU or DCEU blockbuster, maybe he goes down to like a five. So average at seven then. So sure, I'll give him a seven. <laughs> if I had to, uh, if I had to cast him in like a big budget film, I would want Ninjak to be Frank Grillo. Who is Frank Grillo? Who played Cross, he, he played Crossbones in the Captain America oh, okay. movies. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could liken him around that level. That seems fair. I think, I think that would be pretty awesome. Uh, second, uh, Gilad. Gilad, the wrestler. I, I mean, yeah, look, I, I'm biased. I'm a, I'm a pro wrestling fan. I liked seeing wrestlers achieve success outside of the ring just on a personal level because uh, these guys can't be killing their bodies like this all the time. There's a reason we have seen, especially in the, in the 2000s, we saw a lot of wrestlers die well before their age. Uh, luckily, I think wrestlers nowadays, I mean, you see wrestlers nowadays at their prime in their mid forties. Uh, these guys weren't even making it that far then, but, uh, this is just a, a nice, uh, a long winded way to say, I'm, I'm glad when I see pro wrestlers able to make it out in some way, shape or form outside of the ring, because that, that has a shelf life to it. So the fact that John Hedigan is able to establish himself in some way, uh, like I said, he's been in a lot of films of the, this kind of ilk of films. Um, and I think he does a pretty good job for what he's supposed to be in them. So I actually put him right at the same level as, uh, as Michael Rowe here. I give him like a, seven. He, he looks the part. He looks the which part, is yes. which is really key. And his long his long winded Shakespearean monologues when he's talking to people, it just looks like it's it's kind of a struggle. But he looks the part and he like when he's on when he's on screen, like he is the character you're paying attention to. I'll give him a seven. Yeah, for sure. All right. What about um, let's see. How about the guy that played Exo Man of War? I'm going to try to find his name. Three. Yeah, he was not. He doesn't act. He doesn't. He's just kind of there. He's just kind of there to look like a. a he's a place a Vis- filler. Visigoth warrior. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to crush him as low as a three because I think he did. Uh, yeah, you can you can tell they didn't give him a lot of dialogue either. Because actually, the character of Eric of Dacia is a a much more like intelligent, you know, well spoken character in the comics. So I feel like they downgraded him for this because they, he's he, just yeah. he's just the he's like the homeless Viking guy with the alien suit. <laughs> yeah, his and powers. I'm like, well, this isn't this isn't Eric. Yeah, we never got a full display of or understanding of his powers here. And uh, yeah, I think the actor kind of hindered things. I'm not going to be as harsh as you. I'm I'm just going to give him a. Five. He didn't act. <laughs> That's the thing, though. He didn't act. There was nothing to act. Yeah. That's not his fault, though. So I can only blame the actor for so much. Um, yeah, I'll give him a five. I'm being nicer, nicer to this gentleman. His name is Derek Thier, Derek Thieler. <laughs> Whatever. I hope. I hope he. I hope he has a great career, uh, and he gets more time to actually. This act. is going to lead to our our next career as casting agents. By the way, this is, that's the entire purpose of this this podcast to show how we how well we can analyze actors. I, I think we're moving on to our to my, probably my favorite in the film, the woman who plays Roku. She is sexy. Name she is, is Chantel scary. Barry. Yes. 
She is badass and intimidating. And we don't see a lot of female villains on screen. And she owns it. I, I think I'm going to give her an eight. I can't put her that high. I thought I thought like visually, I think they did an awesome job with her. Um, and I, I think she she did a pretty good job acting wise. But I also felt a little bit of and again, that they, they gave of, her more talking than they did. XO. oh, yeah, much more talking. And like um, when she's trying to intimidate the uh, the hostages, she goes over to Neville's daughter and she's like, do you like it when your mother tells you lies? <laughs> it's not going to be OK. It's not going to be OK at all. I'm watching. it. I'm like, damn, girl. That is cold. Yeah, it's it's the nature of this film in some way for everything to be a little hammy, a little cheesy. But I did think, I don't know, some of the times when we get shots to her, like reaction shots to her when Colin is fighting other characters, just felt a little over cheesy to me. Just the way she laughed, like, ha, 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 ha. It was kind of like overly villainous, almost too much. So I can't quite put her at the, an eight, but I, I do think her performance is otherwise very good. I'm just going to put her right where I have John Hennigan, right where I have Michael Rowe, Colin King. I'm going to give her a seven as well. She she has more emotional range than Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Whew, that's uh, that's <laughs> arguable. That's arguable. That's a fair point. Uh, who else? Livewire. I, I feel like you know the, the, they didn't really the use act- her much at all in this. They, no, I mean, she's not really there. But when she's there at the beginning, like she looks cool. Like I feel like she, they, a lot of the budget went towards her powers. They got the look down for sure. Yeah. Visually. Um, I'll, I'll give her I'll give her a six. Yeah, I'm going to go six only because too, we got a little bit more of her, but she was believable as her character. All the others, I have to kind of suspend a little bit of belief. Yeah. Why don't we move on to uh, I'll, I'll agree with you as a six there. Why don't we move on to Bloodshot again, played by Jason David Frank? Uh, six. I got to go five. I, I just thought he was man, maybe even lower. No, you know, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. What, what are you going to say? I don't know. I was about to downgrade my downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I, give him a four. I, I I'll give him a four was, too because he's the he worst actually, actor in this, and I don't. I'm not, I probably won't rank anyone lower than that, but because I think everyone did an okay enough job. But uh, I thought he was the worst actor in this, which really surprised me because the guy's been around as an actor for like since I've been a kid. <laughs> I thought he would do better. Maybe he was just trying to play the character the way he saw it, but I just found his performance very rigid. I it mean, it was cringy. It's, yeah, it was. Maybe he was trying to be a little more like of a rigid, like robotic character, but that's kind of, I mean, that's sort of how Bloodshot is, but I don't know. It just, it just didn't work for me at all. So it, uh, yeah, it made I think me, it, was, it made me so happier that Vin Diesel is Bloodshot. Yeah, I still have not seen that that Vin Diesel oh, Bloodshot movie, it's, but, it's good. but I'm sure that the bar that has been uh, made for me by Jason David Frank here <laughs> will, I'm confident it will be exceeded by, by Vin Diesel. In, in immensely. Uh, it actually I'm, makes I'm you gonna... appreciate actors like Vin Diesel because he actually, you know, he's seen as like not a great actor and, you know, as sort of just like a cheesy action star. But it's it, it's watching stuff like this where you really see the difference between a real star and and, you know, like a, a B or C level actor, because if Vin Diesel was in this movie with these guys, he would shine so freaking much and you would give him a 10 out of 10 probably because he compared to these actors. He, you know, he has the presence he has. He does have acting skills. They're just he's a different kind of actor playing a different role and he plays that role well and then and the roles he played plays are usually kind of you know he's not playing Shakespeare you know he's he's playing an action star but he plays he plays an action star really damn well and it it really stands out by seeing this performance of Bloodshot this performance of some of these other actors how how much more someone like Vin Diesel actually does bring to a film yeah I'll agree with you I'll say four because when he when he fights like the warehouse fight scene which I think is one of the best choreographed fight scenes in the film the warehouse fight scene is really awesome and the effects on him when he heals and stuff like that is pretty okay oh pretty okay (laughs) Uh, it's just when he talks it's like dude shut up 
Like you, you just, you sound like it's, you sound like you sound like you're still in rehearsal. Just stop. So I'll bring him down to a four. I'll agree if you there. All right. What about, I can't seem to find this guy's name. Anyway, what about Neville? the guy, what about the uh, Neville? We could do Neville. And then um, I was going to say shadow man though. That I thought he, he was very brief. Didn't have a lot of roles in the movie, but man, they nailed the character, nailed the voice. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed that performance. I'm going to give that. I'm actually going to give that one an eight. I thought, I thought he did a stellar job. It was very small, but and so I mean I don't think he deserves best actor in the film even though I, I'm probably rating him higher than many others uh, just because his role was smaller. But I thought for what the role was, I mean just near perfect. As Shadow Man, you have to be somebody who's both scary and in a way like not too cartoonishly horrifying. He he met that really nice middle ground between he's scary, but you can tell there's something going on. Like he's not your generic scary type of character. Uh, I'll agree with you. I'll, I'll put him at eight point five. Eight point five because I felt like when he came in, like he really kind of stole the show. And I know I gave Roku an eight because we saw her a little bit longer, but I'll give him an eight point five because he's probably the one person who, like, in terms of understanding their character, that's the thing. All these people, all these actors so far, they seem interchangeable with each other. Whereas I don't think I could see anyone from this current cast being able to pull off what he did as Shadow Man. No, no, not at all. No. Not at all. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, no. Um, then, then lastly, yeah, I think, oh, well, not lastly, we also have, why don't we look at Archer and Armstrong, uh, these two guys. I can't find them in the cast list. I think they, yeah, they confuse me with the cast list. It's kind of They probably here. didn't want to be associated it's with the film after this. Can you please take this. us off, <laughs> off this, sir? Um, you don't. You don't have to pay us for this. Let's just part ways and never speak again. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about the Ar- Archer. I don't know. I, maybe he's playing the character how he's supposed to. I just found his character annoying. Maybe he. Maybe he's supposed to be, and maybe he was. Maybe the acting is still fine. But mm, the Archer didn't do much for me. I'm going to give him like a six. Did you ever see the 1990 Super Smash Brothers movie? I, I did not. I had no idea that existed. It existed. Super Smash Brothers movie. It's got John Leguizano in it. Do you mean the Super Mario Brothers movie? Super Mario Brothers movie, okay. that's it. Yes, that I'm aware of. <laughs> that is that okay, yeah, Super Mario Brothers. It is that level of acting. I'm going to give both of them a 3. Really? I act, Oh wow. I see I thought I thought Archer was much better. I mean, I'm it's, not Archer. It's Ar- Armstrong. Just, Armstrong's the drunk, right? Armstrong's the drunk, Archer's the kid. It is it's cringy. Yeah, Archer was cringy to me. That's what they're kind of supposed to be like. When you make Deadpool look serious, that that's kind of where I'm setting like the cringiness because how much of it is supposed to be slapstick and how much of it is supposed to be a little bit serious? Like I I thought they were they were atrocious. Okay, I'm gonna partially agree. I mean, I, I thought Archer was atrocious. Screw it, I'll throw him under the bus too. I'll give him a, I'll give him a, I'll give him a three too. You talked me down. You talked me down. Screw this guy. He's gonna three. But Ar- I will defend Armstrong. I thought he portrayed the the uh, clobbering, clubbering drunkard very, very well, as as well as he could be. Maybe very, very well. Maybe that's too many varies, but very well. I'll give him a six. I thought he did a good job for that character. He's very, 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 very adequate. <laughs> He's very, 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 very mediocre. Yes. Uh, who else? I think the last one we have to hit on is is uh, Neville, the guy that played Neville Alcott. Uh, what is his name? He deserves to be named. I felt like he was trying to be Martin Freeman. Craig Robert Young is his name. I thought he's the best actor in this whole movie. I mean, he he actually felt like a real actor. Like I really, I could see him in an actual movie. I could see him in the in, you know an actual like Sherlock Holmes movie or a James Bond movie as like a you know as a you know I don't know some British 
intelligence person of some kind. Uh, he, he really struck me the most. I, I honestly, I'm going to give him a nine. I actually thought he had the best performance of any actor in this film. Uh, maybe unexpectedly so, since we're so focused on the heroes and the ones with the powers and the ones in the action scenes. But as far as acting goes, like I really bought Neville. I bought him as as his role in MI6. I bought him as a uh, father concerned about his children uh, or about his daughter. I bought him as friend of Ninjak, uh, trying to figure out what's going on, why his friend is suddenly turning him in on him. Uh, I really bought his acting in this more so than I can say. Like, I feel like everyone else, I kind of, you know, I accepted that they weren't, that they were a B or C level actor and kind of graded them on that scale. This guy actually feels legit. This guy's got masterpiece classic quality. Absolutely. This guy feels legit. He gets my best actor award. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give him a nine too, because when I'm watching him, I've I, at some points, I almost thought I was watching Martin Freeman's character from Captain America, Civil War and Black Panther. Okay. Yeah. 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 That, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. He, yeah. I forget his name. Yeah. Like he, uh, uh, Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, that guy. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I think he's the best one. <laughs> I'll he agree is. with you. It's not, it's not what you'd expect, but I, I, yeah, I don't know if they, I don't know if he is a, I don't really know what else he's been in, but he's, he seems like a legit actor to me. So if he's, if he's not doing movies above this level, he should be, he deserves better than this film actually. <laughs> So, so let's really, you know, jump, jump to the big thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say the worst actors. I think we probably both agree is you might have them tied, but I think that to me, it's the one that played Archer. I, he's just uh, even oh, worse just, than Bloodshot because at least Bloodshot, you can justify Jason David Frank as he's, he's trying to play this sort of rigid character who, you know, but no, Archer has no excuse. The guy, the, the, the kid, the kids showed up not knowing his lines. It's like, I'm just going to be really high pitched the entire time. It's like, yeah, shut I, up. I couldn't stand him on screen at any moment. So he, he's the worst actor. He's the worst. Is this... So, so actually, let's let's go ahead and just rate the quality, and then let's ask the big question, which is: Did this succeed in being a good introductory opportunity for the Valiant Universe? I'm going to give the quality and everything. I'm going to give it a five because it's just it's it's only that. Like this is a good fan film. I'm disappointed knowing that a a second tier comic book publisher put money towards this, especially knowing that they were probably going to get Vin Diesel who had been slight who had been slated for Deadpool's I'm sorry for for Bloodshot because all these people are so similar for Bloodshot as an actor and producer as far back as 2015. So it's almost like you should have just saved it for the big, big opportunity. So I'm going to give him a five. Yeah. So was, this was really just meant, this wasn't meant to start a universe of any kind. This is really just meant as like an online film to, to gather some interest. This was a big marketing campaign, basically. I'm curious, is the, the graphic novel version of this, is that supposed to be in Valiant continuity or is that just a separate thing? That's, that's just kind of an adaptation of the film. On the first page, they literally tell you this is in an adjacent universe. Okay, so this didn't really happen as far as yeah. I'm so it's an Elseworld type story. Alrighty. Well, that being said, um, I I can't go as low as you. I'm actually shocked at your score. I actually thought you would, you would rate this higher. And I, I think if I, it was a if it was a fan film, because like you know on secondprintcomics.com, folks, we do fan film Friday where I show you all the great films and all the bad fan films. If this was just a fan film, I would probably rate it at an eight. Very few fan films get this good, but it wasn't a fan film. So if I'm calling this even like, you know, a a low budget marketing experience, because like I'm a watch collector and like Timex is one of my favorite watch brands. Timex had a thing where they made like this little cartoon James Bond to market one of their watches. And they're like 30 second clips for each watch. Like if I'm talking like you made an original story and a story brands behind a certain product or idea and you're trying to run with that in order to build kind of a cult following behind that. That's that's what they tried to do here. And in terms of quality. 
that's not what I would want. I almost feel like they should have done anything else. I feel like this was a good, big, bold attempt. You know, my I clap my hands for them. Valiant Entertainment had a very low budget for a lot of their things, which is why they had to double down making the best comics possible. They won almost every award imaginable. I think in 2013, 2014, when they came back, they were like the number one publisher of the year. For this level of quality, even though they teamed up with the best fan film studio, Bat in the Sun, they took themselves out of the fan film category. So if it was a fan film that was just bat in the sun using valiant characters, comparing it to other fan films, I give it an eight, but it's not, it was a marketing tool. So I got to give it a five. Okay. I, I I'm trying to judge it on a little bit of a sliding scale because yeah, I guess it all depends on how you want to look at it. Cause like you said, if this were a fan film, it's like a nine, you know, it's like for a fan film, but it's not a fan film, so I can't give it a nine, uh, even a nine for a fan film. But I did enjoy it enough that I, I really can't I can't put it as low as a five. To me, a five is is like something I wouldn't even recommend someone to watch or or spend any time with. So and I and I wouldn't say that for this. I would say that this is, you know, if you got a spare 90 minutes, I think this is well worth your time, well worth watching and and giving a giving a look to. So I can't this is, put it that This is low. often this is often when I put on the TV on background because I just like seeing these characters. And I, I love the characters in the story so much. I'm willing to excuse a lot of the quality control stuff. I guess that's a lot of it for me, too. Like, I'm just kind of enjoying what I got for what it is. And I'm letting other stuff slide, like maybe some slightly subpar acting, some not so great special effects at times, especially when it comes to Exo Man of War. I think that that's probably the biggest disappointment with this film. There the was no acting. Exo. There was no acting from him. No. <laughs> he was just there. And really no understanding of his character. Even in the, even in the brief glimpses of the other characters, we got to kind of understand their character a little bit. Whereas we really know nothing about Exo and even the extent of his powers. He just kind of seems like a big dumb jock in a suit. So I, that's by far the biggest disappointment. I saw this. I saw this. I saw this film before I started reading the Exo Man of War comics. And I was convinced that he was just a homeless person <laughs> that happened upon <laughs> some armor. Yeah. So I, I will. I'm still going to give this thing. I'm going to give it a 6.5. That's going to be my hedge. I can't go all the way to seven, but I feel even six is a little too low. That's like a D. So I'm going to at least, you know, that's a D minus. I'm going to at least give it, I don't know. It's a D, but yeah, I don't know. I don't even like 6.5. That feels too low. I'm going to say it with a 6.5. I think that's uh, Okay. Now let's, let's grade this by letters. So A, a plus B, C so minus, that type of thing. Two different yeah. grade levels. Yeah, because I, I almost feel like this is the only way to really justify it. Did it accomplish its goal of being a good introductory platform to the Valiant universe? I'm going to give it a B. <laughs> this is a really complicated system. So, okay, on that particular question, did it, is that what you're saying? Did I? Yes. Did, yeah. I I don't know why we switched to letters here, but I'll run with it. <laughs> just just be I mean, in the moment, okay? Yeah, as an introductory, sure. Uh, I, I would agree with you. I'll give it a B. It's not an A+. It's not the best introductory. My biggest point, again, comes to the portrayal of Exo Manowar. That was the biggest disappointment here. Um, everyone else, even... You know, even the shitty acting of, of Bloodshot and uh, Little Archer, I think it still gave us a you know a kind of a good enough glimpse into the characters. Uh, I, I think especially Ninjak. Like if I saw this, Ninjak is probably the one I'd want to go check out first, or maybe do, Shadow do you Man think, too. Do you think he was the best choice to kind of be the you know the the the, the, the trendsetter this? for this? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think this would have worked as well if they just tried to adapt the in-continuity, in-Valiant continuity original Unity story where uh, they are trying to track down Exo Manowar. I don't think this this would have worked, especially with that actor as the centerpiece. I think if they were going to make one character the centerpiece of this, it had to be Colin King, it had to be Ninjak, and and I think it worked perfectly um, in in that regard. So, yeah, I'll agree with you on the B, though. I think it's it's a pretty good introduction to the characters, but I can't we can't go as high as an A because, uh, yeah. Mostly because, largely because of Exo Manowar. Yeah, because like he is, he is their Superman. Yeah. If if Ninjak is Batman, and Bloodshot is like Deadpool, Punisher, Wolverine, then Exo is is Superman. So it's like you can't. I'm not just talking in terms of in 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 store in you know his his role in the stories how important he is. I'm just talking like also in like numbers dollars he's the one that is always getting renewed he's the one that brings in the money to basically fund all the other publishing projects and all the other titles so it's like you know i'm glad that they included him i think money got in the way of it because there's so much more they could have done but at the same time he's such an interesting character they could have given him some more dialogue i mean i I like i like the fact that they gave eternal warrior more of a spotlight but i think they could have shared a little bit Yep, indeed. I would. Uh, I think that's a, a pretty thorough analysis, Remso. So overall, though, I would say if we're just if we're just putting this on like a should I watch it or not? If I have ninety minutes to spare, I'm gonna go an absolutely yes. If we're, if we're just doing a binary net yes no on that question, it gets a yes for me. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, what this, about you? Uh, would you say the same? I'd say the same. I mean, here here's the thing, man. I love Valiant, and what I will say that Valiant gets is that. They deliver the fan service that you want from the superhero genre, while at the same time being willing to being willing to really experiment with their stories. This is not the best Valiant story ever told from Valiant, but it's very base level for people who have no clue what they're watching. Because what I love about Valiant is that they really are willing to be experimental with how they do things with their characters, whereas DC and Marvel have become predictable, even with all their continuity reboots, even with everything. Um, You know, Valiant has been around for around seven years now as Valiant Entertainment because they've gone through so many buyouts and corporate restructures and everything. At one point, they were just dead and they sold off a bunch of their characters. Valiant has... The, the universe where if you're a comic book reader and you feel like you've been burned out and kind of taken advantage of valiant delivers on what I think are the best stories being published right now in the market. Yeah, I would agree. If you're if you're looking for something different in comics, um, but you maybe whether you're not, you like the superhero genre. I think that Valiant Comics brings something unique to you. Now they did, you know, they did uh, take a hit in a lot of their publishing stuff with COVID and everything, so a lot of things became irregular. But uh, I really recommend a lot of these, um, like these rebooted Valiant series uh, from I think 2012, 2013. Jeff Lemire's Bloodshot, I really enjoyed. Matt Kent's Ninjak, those are the two that really stood out to me, as well as uh, the Exo Man War. Matt Kent is doing the Berserker comic with Keanu Reeves, which just got greenlit for a movie starring Keanu on Netflix. Ooh, exciting. I'm in. Which is so weird because I thought that they would have brought him on to script this freaking Ninjak versus the Valley universe, but they brought in Aaron Shank, who it's like, why not bring in the person that made Valiant what it is? That would make sense. I think he is credited as a, he does have a writing credit on this movie. So I think, I think he was at least advising, even if he wasn't the main writer. Still, it's like one of those things where it's like so much could have happened. I almost wish they didn't do this in a way because I don't feel like it helped them. I think maybe it re-energized some of the existing fans, but 
Like, I don't see how this is where you go, where if you want to learn whether or not you want to buy Valiant Comics. I see this as you bought a couple comics and you kind of are already interested and you want to learn about them in like one take. And this is what you watch. But it's never one of those situations where it's like it's it's there. And I don't quite know if it's necessary. Yeah, like I said, I don't think this is going to take someone cold and make them interested in Valiant Comics. But I think it might take someone interested in Valiant Comics and give them something to enjoy and maybe pique their curiosity on some other characters, like Shadow Man, for example. Uh, I mean, I think if you were into comics, maybe had some small exposure to Valiant and then saw this Shadow Man scene, you might say, oh, I want to go check out Shadow Man now. Uh, you might also say, I never want to read Archer Armstrong. So, I, you know, it could go either way. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, final impressions. I think if you are a comic book fan, I think if you are interested or are already a big Valiant comics diehard, like Mark and I, you're, you're going to watch this and it's just, it's fun. Don't take it too seriously. It kills an hour or so. And it's just like, it, it's just one of those things where you could look at it and you can appreciate so much more for this, for bloodshot to happen. At some point, somebody thought this was necessary. And Mark, you got to go watch bloodshot, man. I think it is actually Vin Diesel's best movie. All right. Well, I, I'll make it a priority in the, in the coming weeks here. Yep. So that's, that's all I got. All right. Yeah. And I, I will just reiterate. I think that if you're a comic book fan, if you're someone who's made it this far into this episode of this program, you're probably someone who will at least have a passing enjoyment of this film. I think it's worth watching, uh, largely because despite its faults, it doesn't take itself overly seriously. So even the, the, the to the extent that it is kind of cheesy or hammy, um, it still works because it, it, it matches the feel of the, of the film. So if I would looking... watch this over Joss Whedon's Justice League any day of the week. Oh, no question. No question about it. It's an hour shorter, and at least it makes sense. At least the plot flows. At least I understand the motivations of everyone. I can't say that about the uh, the JSJL, so to speak, So, which shall never be heard from again. Although it's, it's going to make a fascinating piece. I know our fan of ours, Jacob Lindsay, had never, he'd only seen the Snyder Cut, and, and now our conversation about it made him want to go back and watch the Joss Whedon Cut. And I think, as a curiosity, I would probably want to do the same thing if I hadn't seen it, just to see the difference. That, that is some bizarro world stuff. Going from the Snyder cut to the theatrical version yeah that's that's a weird one maybe jake will do a little uh little uh bonus uh for us on patreon about that I, i'm signing up our patrons to do work for us that alive that's what's happening you've been drafted <laughs> all right but uh that being said that's all i got remzo so that being said i already said that being said but that being said that being said <laughs> until next time what do we ask everybody to do read comics change and the world change the world good night america Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.